Hello and welcome to season three of the Melrose Place cast. I'm Mary. I can't believe we're still doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm Teej. And what what could possibly stop us, Mary? I don't know at this point. I honestly don't know. And I wonder sometimes. Season three, wow, it is really kicking it up a notch. Mary, we are cooking with grease this season. We are firing on all cylinders. Oh my God. And speaking of fire, I don't know about you, but I think there may be some explosive plot twists coming our way. (laughs) Did you say explosive? Yeah, are we this getting... place about to blow. Are we going to get sued? <laughs> Have the money. Please don't sue us. They can take all the royalties. We don't make any money. Because you know what? There's no real There's no real sponsors. But each week, we're going to have a couple fake ones. We sure will. And you're going to learn all about them coming up now on the Melrose Placecast. Hello, and welcome to the Melrose Placecast. Today, we're talking about Season 3, Episode Lucky Number 13, called Just Say No. How original. My name is Mary. I'm Teej. Mary, I have bad news. Why? Well, we just recorded Episode 13 of Models Inkcast, which will air in like seven months, and I forgot to say the title. So, listeners, Episode 13 of the Models Inkcast is titled In Models We Trust. That's also a really stupid title. Yeah, just say no. This is a Nancy Reagan flashback, and I have some Nancy Reagan tea. Really? <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Like right now Turn, or later? Like right now. This is this is this is new news about Nancy Reagan. That's interesting because she's been dead for a while. She's been dead for quite some time, but in her prime, while she was alive, um, it is confirmed by some author that she did not have a gag reflex that made her very popular on the MGM studios. Oh dear. <laughs> they, 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 they called her the throat goat. They're calling her the throat goat. The throat goat? Yeah. Greatest of all time. Oh, see, I thought... She, she loved it. She loved it. You know I have a weakness for rhymes, so it's not fair to do that. I know, and you know what, and it's weird because I'm a poet and they didn't even know it. I rhyme all the time. That just made me mad. <laughs> okay, well, Mary, um, genuinely, three examples of high art for the generations here. Can I give you just a teaser, Weezer? You will, whether I say yes or no. Okay, here are three quotes. <laughs> okay. Why, mu- why must you insist on acting like Patty Hearst? Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Second quote. Explain to me again where the little monster came from. <laughs> and finally, <clears throat> congratulations on your promotion. <laughs> Speaking of goats. Mary, should we get into it? Let's do it. All right. You know what I noticed? There were only three storylines this episode. I mean, kind of, but there's a lot of intertwined things going on. Yeah, they are intertwined, yes, I'll give you that. But uh, my first one, uh, this came from our good friend Chris, the Australian kidnapping uh, JCPenney executive <laughs> with mob ties. Yeah. But by the way, okay, so he's left Jane. Don't you think the storyline would have been better if he still to this day had not slept with Jane? Why did they do that? <laughs> it would have been better if they should have yeah. Anyway, um, so last episode, we saw uh, Chris uh, deliver some earrings to Sydney, who rejected them, but later wore them. Uh, Chris stole $500,000 from Jane, and then um, snatched Sydney off the street and dragged her into a limo. Like you do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what's happening. We find out, we see the limo is driving over state lines, and then it uh, there's a welcome to Las Vegas sign. No sign of Vegas anywhere. Just welcome to Las Vegas. That's all you need. Yeah. Um, Sydney says to Chris, in this country, kidnapping is against the law. I don't know where, what it's like where you're from, Dundee, but, you know, you're going to have to <laughs> get me out of here. Uh, Dundee offers her uh, a necklace of some sort, and she says, I don't accept presents from kidnappers. And Chris says, why must you insist on acting like Patty Hearst? And I'll stop there because I imagine you're going to cover this a little bit as trash later but 
But up until this moment, uh, that's where I want to go. Uh, why must you insist on acting like Patty Hearst? That was an artistic pop culture reference that people were understanding. Um, oh, shit, I forget the name of the syndrome where you... Munchauser syndrome? No, that's where you feel you make up sicknesses. What is it when you identify with your kidnapper? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Yes, thank you. From uh, Switzerland. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I know it's Sweden. But uh, why must you insist on acting like Patty Hearst? Uh, I thought it was a good reference and kind of really uh, sending a flare up about what it's like uh, to be kidnapped by someone that um, you kind of want to sleep with because they're sexy. I mean, you kind of just popped your own balloon there at the end. <laughs> How <laughs> the, did I do that? <laughs> the whole being kidnapped by somebody you kind of want to sleep with may be trashy. That just might be <laughs> a little bit trashy. Okay, take out the kind of want to sleep with part. And then and then I think you got it. Then I think you can see my point is solid, valid, correct, accurate, and artistic in nature. Yeah, if you cut out all the trash around the one thing that is slightly less trashy, sure. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Listen, that's my first at bat. How did I do? I'm I'm uh, not great. <laughs> but you well, well, me- As I, I keep All right. you're doing the best you can. There, there is not a lot for you to harvest from this tree in season three, especially as the tree gets bigger into season three. So if you can find anything, two thumbs up. Like Patty Hurst. You found Patty Hurst. I yield um, my time. I yield my time. Well, I'm reclaiming your time. I call this for a kidnapping victim. Sydney looks pretty good. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna try not to recap. So yeah, they, they he kidnaps her, shoves her in the car, and they drive to Vegas. And she's protesting a little too much. He gives her a necklace that matches the diamond earrings in the car. They get to Caesar's Palace, and there is a really decorated hotel room he says it dollars a day the best room on the trip uh anyway she wants to get out of there she's let's just sell no matter how much it costs he's like you can walk up any you will you like me a little admit it and you like my money even more and so he sits down next to her on this really ugly couch and she's like, wait, wait, wait. Why is it an ugly couch? That whole room is ugly, except for the giant cat statue. Hearing no rebuttal, I will go on. Uh, she says, this, he's like, this is where you belong, Sydney. You don't belong running a rag across a bar or serving beer to drunk boys. You should be here with me, though, in the high life. And she's like, what about Jane? He says, Jane doesn't exactly raise my flag. Yeah, wow. <laughs> This is why I thought they should not have had him sleep with her. I agree. It would have been funnier, too. He says, Jane's a nice girl, but not good. You're good. Real good. And he puts a hand on her shoulder, and she shoves it off like she's pushing a bug away. And he's like, can you just give me a second chance? I'll take you out for the best dinner in town. We'll stop at the dress shop down in the lobby. Or I guess you could call the police. And he dangles a phone in front of her, and she's like well, I guess we could go look at dresses. And they cut to a store, and she's trying to dress that costs more than her last car, she says. And she feels like a million bucks. And he's like, you should be like this all the time, buying dresses in Paris, not at a strip mall. And then they go to the casino, and Chris is winning, and she's blowing on his dice. And she's like, I never knew someone could have so much fun winning money. And I'm like, yeah, that's gambling, Sydney. That's how gambling works. Uh, (laughs) That's pretty much the whole idea. Uh, She's like aren't you worried I'm going to run away? Cause he gives her a bunch of money to go spend. And he's like, how many prospectors do you know that ever ran away from the gold mine? And I'm like, that's a good line. Uh, later. She's back a little room. sexist. A little sexist. Why? A little demeaning. He's calling her gold digger. Cause she used to be a prostitute. Oh, well, I didn't think of it that way, but sure. I mean, I, that just kind of plays into my argument that this is trash, I guess. Um, Later, Sydney's getting a massage and eating chocolate-covered strawberries and being served drinks. And she loves having little umbrellas in her drinks. It's so cute. And she keeps adding to the tip on the bill for the server. Chris is like, he goes back, he's like, I'm on the roll of a lifetime, baby. And he's like, tells the guy working the room, he's like, whatever Sydney wants, you make sure she gets it. And he's like, hey, 
I'd like to give you a massage, only I'd go a lot deeper. I know. But, oh, my God. This is my kind of guy. And she says, that's not part of the bargain. <laughs> Later, Sydney is eating candy in the room when he comes in, and now he's mad because he lost a bunch of money. And she found out she's ready to go on a shopping spree and also asks, have you ever been in a hot air balloon? Oh, yeah, Teach, buckle up. We're going to talk about dirigibles. Oh, no, we don't have time for this. We will. Anyway, she says they drive you out to the desert, they put you in a hot air balloon, and you float over the strip at sunrise. It only costs $500 and includes breakfast. That is a business model I can get behind. Like, that, that sounds like a deal. Not for the people buying it, but for the people running it. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to point out, he's, he's, so he's upset. He's lost a bunch of money. She's just lounging around in that she bought her. <laughs> she doesn't have any other clothes. She wants to go on the powder balloon ride. He's like, no, we don't have any money. And we're over the limit at the casino. And he lunges at her and he tries to kiss her. And this is where it gets icky. And she like shoves him away. And she's like, what do you mean you lost the money? And he's like, my company loaned a half a million dollars. And she's like, whoa, whoa, shit. You stole this from Jane? He's like, yeah, dumbass. Like, it technically half of it belongs to Michael, which I thought was funny. She says, yeah, that was a nice touch. I always knew you were a creep, but I didn't know you were a thief, too. Like, that's worse than being a creep, I guess. I don't know. He does the thing where she tries to get away, and he grabs her wrist. Boo! Like, I don't know how to break it, but between everything I bought you, you're wearing about $40,000 of it. And she says, you can kiss it goodbye, because it's walking out the door. And he grabs her again. Boo! And he says, I want the necklace. And she says, no way. And he lost the money. That's your problem. And he backhands her. Boo! She gets back in toward the door. He said, she says, you better knock it off or I'm going to call security. He says, don't make me hurt you. Boo! And she runs into the bathroom and locks the door and he bangs on the door and says, I'll be back. Cut to shooters. Jake answers the phone and guess who is? It's Sydney. And oh my God, she's in Vegas and she's been kidnapped and he's going to kill her. She just knows it. And so Jake hangs up and then he calls Jane because they've been looking for her. And then off they go to the airport. Okay. What the hell? I'm in Vegas. I'm going to be murdered. Okay, I'll hop on a flight myself. What? I'm not going to call the police or anything. I'm just going to get just fly there myself because I'm Jake. Whatever. Uh, cut back to Vegas. Uh, Sydney is still in the ugly but lavish room. Uh, a server comes and leaves a big plate of food on the coffee table right when Jake shows up and she's hugging him and she's like, I thought you'd never get here. It's been so awful. <laughs> the sign the check, so she does. Jake oh. face. She says, "Oh, you must be wondering about the food. Chris has been trying to starve me to death to get me to do what he wants. So when he went to the casino, I ordered room service." <laughs> Jake says, "For a kidnapping victim, you look pretty good." Uh, mm -hmm. He bring diamonds and she's like hey i know i've got a lot of explaining to you can but can it wait i'm just so glad to be back in your arms and she's hugging him and he just kind of stands there slack jawed and it's wonderful it's a wonderful performance uh back in vegas jane and michael have arrived uh jake is trying to book them all flights back to la michael's like i gotta hand it to chris he really knew how to throw money around sydney's <laughs> um, <laughs> like oh my god jane it was horrible it was a total nightmare and jane does not believe any of this and she's like, I was brought here against my will, snatched off the streets of West Hollywood by that maniac and embezzler. And Michael goes, yeah, and forced to wear designer clothes and diamond jewelry. <laughs> like, I did what I had to do to stay alive. And Michael says, you never looked better. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, they kind of break up the scene then because uh, Jake finds out they can all fly back standby. Sydney's trying to apologize. Jane, Jane is not having any of this shit. Uh Jake and Sydney leave. Jake kind of shoves her out the door and goes back to check on Jane, who's there with Michael. Jane says she'll be fine. She can't believe Jake is falling for this shit. And Jake's like, I'm not really falling for anything. I just want to go home. <laughs> so um, there's a lot. There's a lot. Of, this is like a pile of, of trash bags. And it's wonderful. By far the most fun storyline of this whole episode. Laura should have gotten an Emmy for how she is playing this. She is so funny. Like, she's so pouty, like, when she's not getting what she wants. But the minute she gets what she wants, she's just, like, having a field day. Um, also, Jake, and the look on his face when he sees her at the hotel in, like, this gown and this room service. <laughs> you know, she keeps talking about what a horrible nightmare she's lived through. It was really funny. I really enjoyed it. But it's super trashy. Ow. I just hit my head on a light. What an ordeal you've been through. 
<laughs> Listen, this is what I'm talking about. You made my point for me. This is the Patty Hearst of it all. The like, she's been kidnapped. You saw her get snatched off the street. She's been taken against her will over state lines, which I don't think is actually, I don't think that's a bigger deal for adults. I don't think it like is when you, adults, is it? I, feel like I don't think adults. so. Yeah. Unless, unless the argument is then the feds get involved. Who the fuck cares? Whatever. She was taken. She did not want to be there. I will remind you, this is the guy who had attempted to rape her, had been sexually harassing her, had been stalking her, threatening her all the time. And worse, worse, said he was going to marry Jane. (laughs) The greatest crime of all. Yeah, she had every right to be terrified. And I think she was in her own way. The only time she was legitimately frightened was when he came at her physically, which she should be frightened of, and she locked herself in the bathroom. But even then, she didn't leave. She didn't call the police or security. She called Jake, who was way the hell back in Los Angeles, to come help her. room service. Room service. (laughs) Thank you for making my point for me. (laughs) Okay, well, I will will let this go. You know what? We're going to have to leave this one to the listeners. Oh, okay. Okay, can I tell you, can I take my next argument? Yeah, please. Explain to me again where the little monster came from. <laughs> uh, Mary, well, uh, we've, been, we've been doing this for a while. We have. We have. A, a, lo- a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. A lot. I don't think I've ever used as my starting, as a, one of my arguments, the first line of an episode. <laughs> maybe not but, i don't remember. we'd have to listen but, all again yeah but we open with michael following kimberly out of the bedroom as kimberly's holding joe's baby with michael saying explain to me again where the little monster came from but side note this baby has not been named yet right no one has ever said a name joe's baby i think that's fine yeah i think i think his name is austin I don't think, I think that comes later, though, when Joe gets him back. But people were naming babies Austin back then all the time. Oh, God, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a baby named Austin. <laughs> should have been throwing rocks at babies. Look, I wasn't throwing them at the babies. I just have very poor aim. Anyway, so this is to establish that, yes, Michael is at least aware of the kidnapping and <laughs> kind of that he's, he's dumb to it. So I guess there's that. Uh, he's but the reason... crying, so he's aware <laughs> The reason I thought it was high art for the generation. And the American educational system. Oh, God. Sex ed is poorly funded. Inappropriately tilted towards abstinence-only education. Keep it in your pants! It leaves more questions than answers. (laughs) So... Is it any wonder that Manor Michael, with as much sex as he had, despite being a doctor, would see a baby in the arms of his wife who is, quote, unquote, barren, (laughs) and wonder how it happened? Uh, This is what I think Michael's thinking. I know she's barren normally. Normally. But can you get pregnant from the other stuff? Be careful. You never know. <laughs> That's what I think he's thinking. And I think he's it's channeling again the, the poor sex ed in America and the fact that uh, teenagers, kids, young adults, and, and let's not forget, these are young adults. They're just out of med school and our chief residents. Um, <laughs> and, and models that the poor schmucks want to drink coffee to be like. Mm, yeah, that's true. I, I think Melrose Place is pointing out the ludicrousness of the state of sex ed in American schools in the 90s. I think that's a very rich interpretation that serves your need to provide an argument that this is high art. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I appreciate, again, your efforts to try to find those arguments in this part of season three, which will again, and continue to become more difficult. Um, It's difficult because I I think it's pretty obvious that Kimberly was never pregnant. 
<laughs> and he knows she was never pregnant. But are you sure she wasn't backdoor pregnant? So he's literally asking, where did this baby come from? Not how did the baby get in your belly and did it come out? <laughs> but I, again, I appreciate your efforts. You're, you're doing a fine job. You just, the deck is stacked way against you. Listen, political leaders are way too responsive to the hypocritical Christian coalition, the moral majority. They, you know what? That proves my point. Remember when Allison said to Billy and Susan, what are you, the moral majority of two? I don't know how that proves the point. (laughs) It it proves that Melrose Place was of a mindset to take on the moral majority, the promise keepers, who I think later became the oath keepers and stormed the Capitol. Like those people, Melrose Place wanted to bring down their ideology. Um, Again, I applaud your efforts. I don't hear any clapping. I don't hear any clapping. I don't don't want to blow the mic. Oh, thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's enough, man. Thank you. Are your hands tired now from that? Peace or rest? <laughs> you're, you know, you're doing your best. That's all you can do. Well, Mary, let's take a break and let's see, uh, let's see how you do. All right. I'm confident. Mary, have I got news for you. Oh, good. Melrose Place, you know how I feel about corporations. And technically, Melrose Place is a corporation. Okay. But it's a corporation doing good for America, providing a free service to benefit all of us. Look, schools are underfunded. Teachers are being told to bring guns to school to protect themselves. Maybe they could borrow Joe's. And sex ed has never been what it needs to be in America. So the good people of Melrose Place, the characters of Melrose Place, are offering free to any high school or middle school who would like them, who would invite them in. A whole series of lessons on sex ed. Oh, what? Would you like to hear some of the topics? Yeah, why not? Well, um, we'll, we start, we get the controversial one out of the way. Any high school, any high school in America, Mary, can invite Matt Fielding in to give a lecture titled, Just Like My Friends with HIV and AIDS. <laughs> People need to know about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or we could, of course, invite Natalie with the Spider-Man boots. Do you remember Natalie? Very vaguely, yes. She was in episode Very vaguely. Yeah, she, just her, just her, just her uh, calves were in episode one as she walked out on Allison. But she would give a lesson to your high school kids called... Hit it and quit it. <laughs> Those are important words to live by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we have a special guest from Australia, Chris, who would come talk to your high school uh, with a specific lesson. Let's not sleep together. Not <laughs> yet. <laughs> now, that sounds like they want what they want in the schools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we do need to explain the biology, the sperm, the egg, all of that, the ovaries that carry eggs that we don't know whether they grow in size or not, but whatever. They do something. Michael Mancini will come to your high school, marry a pair of siblings, and say, explain to me again where the little monster came from. <laughs> uh, right after that, Jane Mancini will come, and she'd happily... Give a lecture. Can I tell you her guest topic? <laughs> yes, please. Your boyfriend may be an ass, but at least he could do it. Oh, those that's mm-hmm. another important lesson to learn, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, of course, Kathy Ireland will show up. What a big get for your high school. Oh, my God. Name brand. Oh, name brand. She's bringing gratitude. And she's also going give to a, give, a, give a talk titled, why don't you ask your daughter? <laughs> a very specific talk. Mm-hmm. Now, Sydney's going to give a forced choice activity where students will have to decide. You can, you can live a life that takes you down one path or another. You go this way, you're getting Thanksgiving. You go this way, you're getting whoresgiving. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> Uh, how to show you care by Keith Gray. 
Oh God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now listen, sex is not just about biology and dating. Sometimes there's really tough choices you have to make. Oh it's yeah. Not, it's not always clear. And if you need guidance for your high school or middle school kids, Jake Hansen will come with a lecture titled I Hate Moral Dilemmas. Now, please keep the high school girls away though. <laughs> Don't serve any milk at that gathering. It'll bring them in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, if you don't provide proper sex education to kids, they don't know when to have sex. No, that's a real problem. So Sandy is going to pause from her role as Dr. Aviva Lester to come give a lecture titled, Everything Worth Doing. And I mean everything happens <laughs> at night. And yes, the Southern accent fades throughout the lecture. <laughs> <laughs> now of course we're going to have Perry stop by with a, 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 a more of a how-to video presentation called let me show you how to bury the nozzle <laughs> oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mary there's just two left okay Amanda Woodward oh sure she will come and give a presentation, a discussion, a back and forth, a dialogue with, if you will, simply titled, Daddy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and That's finally. A crowd pleaser. Finally, Mary. Mm-hmm. Rhonda will come to your high school. Oh, my God, please. Her topic I know how hard it is for my body just to recover from a cold. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Mary, Sex Ed by Melrose Place, available free of charge to any middle school or high school who invites them in. God, I really hope someone takes them up on that offer because I want to see the reviews. I I would like to be there. I just want the reviews. (laughs) This this sounds a little bit like uh, the model of cast. <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern here. <laughs> and we are back for the second half of season three, episode thirteen of the Melrose Place cast. We're discussing "Just Say No," uh, reference, of course, to the throat goat Nancy Reagan. I'm Teej. <laughs> I am not the throat goat. I'm Mary. <laughs> Just in case anyone thought Nancy Reagan was here. Not available. No, she's, she's dead. She, you, you know. Do, do you, speaking of dead, nobody has done Nancy Reagan uh, in the Snatch Game of RuPaul's Drag Race yet. Holy shit, somebody should. Except she's not that. I don't, how would you make her funny? Other than that she just looked kind of fussy. Yeah. Well, now that we know this, this. Nancy Reagan loved giving blowjobs thing. That's actually, there's, there's... yeah, that is, except you need to, they need to like say that before they film the snatch game a lot though. So people know that yeah. whenever I, this is a tangent, but I enjoy it. So I'm going to say it. Uh, whenever I think of Nancy Reagan, I think of this picture that my brothers and I have sent to each other every year at Christmas for years where Mr. T is at the white house, like in the eighties and Nancy Reagan is sitting on his lap. <laughs> <laughs> He looks like a child because she's very small and he's very large. Okay. Do you remember that picture of the, the Bidens and the Carters? Yes. I still don't understand how that happened where the Carters look like little elves. They do look like little hobbits. They're so cute. Well, they're very old and you shrink sometimes as you age. I was going to say, speaking of, how are they still, how are, how is that still happening, the Carters? They're just such nice people. They're just, they're powered by niceness. You know, Jimmy Carter once felt lust in his heart. He told Playboy. I remember that. Isn't that quaint? Like compared to nowadays, like, and, and he was like, as a scandal, it was a scandal that he said that. And I'm like, that is like the most gentlemanly way you could even <laughs> enunciate that thought. <laughs> uh, what a time to be alive. Well, Mary, you're queued up. It's your turn to, uh, to make an, make an argument. If you can find one. You can't see me, but I'm stretching like an athlete, I think. Like a mathlete, maybe. I was an academic decathlete. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
it checked out. Several, several blue ribbons at the academic decathlon. I just I enjoy having a place where I can list my many accomplishments, like the fact that I was an English major and I was an academic decathlete. <laughs> my parents are so proud. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, much like a certain character on the show, Allison was probably an academic decathlete. My first point is about Allison. I guess it's my second point. And I call this one ever since we've known Allison, she's been going through a rough time. <laughs> that was a good line from Mr. Woodward. Oh, she had a couple of good singers. Ms. Ms. Woodward, sorry. Yeah, Ms. Madam. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to kind of stay away from a plot line that I think you're going to hit in one of your points, but I'm going to kind of go around it, so I leave that for you. Okay. Is that okay? Sure, sure. All right. So we're at D&D, and baby, it's Hostile Takeover time. Booyah! Hostile Takeover! You've been waiting for it. We know it's coming. But first, Allison comes into work late because she was drunk and she runs right into Bruce and she's like, I'm sorry I'm late. And she starts to make excuses and he doesn't care. He just wants to tell her that he fired Amanda and he wants Allison to step up. And Allison's like, sure, even though she's still kind of drunk. She goes into Amanda's office where she's packing up her stuff. Amanda glares and she says, if you've come to gloat, at least have the guts to say how you really feel. Aren't you glad Bruce fired me? Maybe even elated. And Allison's like, don't tell me how I feel. And Amanda's like, this probably calls for a celebration. Of course, you'll use any excuse to have a drink. What was it this morning? Allison's like, orange juice. And Amanda says, screwdriver's more like it. I can smell it on your breath. It's not even lunchtime and you're already into happy hour. (laughs) Allison finally cracks. She's like, fine. You want to know how I feel? I feel great because you finally got what you deserve. You have manipulated me and Billy, and our relationship, and Amanda cuts her off cold. She says, I refuse to take the blame for your pathetic mess of a life. I promoted you. I stuck by you despite your monumental personal problems. Allison's like, the truth is, I'm better on two double vodkas than you are at your best. And Amanda says, tell that to the next poor kid you run over. (laughs) Okay, so do you think Amanda was setting Allison up? Oh my God, she might have been. I mean, because I wondered why was Amanda packing if she knew the takeover was coming? I, that's, you know what? I could see that going either way. Like, she may have known the takeover was coming, but not when it was coming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? I could still see her being mad to get fired just for the indignity of that, even if she knows she's going to come out on top. So, like, to have to yeah. go through being fired and, like, letting him think he wins. I don't know. That's a good yeah. question. I don't know. What do you think? It, it, you know, I, I, well, I just think it was poorly written, but I, <laughs> but, but, but if I get beyond that, I would say she had to, Peter, Peter didn't have the day off by chance, right? Like, um, yeah. so this, this had to be planned. This was the same day. Uh, so I would have to say Amanda set Allison up for, by the way, that tirade was going to be one of my high art points because it reminds me of a lesson we all have to learn the hard way, which is, and I think we've talked about this, when one of your friends breaks up with someone that you know they should not have been dating, oh. you wait before you say it, like weeks. Because what? if you are like, I'm so glad you're done with that motherfucker, I hated him, here's all the reasons, and then they're going to get back together three days later, and then you're out. And this is this is the corporate version of what Allison just did. Yeah, she did. She's not very smart. Mm-mm. Well, she thought Amanda was gone. And Amanda's not gone. Amanda's never gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, okay, so Allison goes to talk with Bruce, and she's, like, talking about how hard it was to work under Amanda, and Bruce is like, yeah, I got that. And his phone rings, and dun-dun-dun! There's bad music. And he's like, what? Who? It doesn't make any sense. And he says to Allison, his attorney called, and a consortium of doctors have bought up a big chunk of the agency, and he's no longer the majority shareholder. Bullshit. Bullshit. Okay. If he was the majority shareholder, they could not have bought enough to make him not the majority unless he was selling. I guess. say he was like the primary shareholder or like he's got 18% and now someone else has 20 He said majority. He, this, this doesn't make sense. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I've said it's poorly written. I've said it doesn't make sense. 
<laughs> just in the last minute. Uh, anyway, he says there's a board meeting tomorrow now, and he has to convince them that he should be the boss better than anyone they bring in from the outside. So the next day we cut to this meeting, the representative for the doctors who bought the shares, like, we don't want to get involved in the day-to-day, but we want to have a say in who the management is. And Bruce is like, we could totally compromise, and my team is great, and they work well with the clients. And the doctor's representative is like, so does the management team that we have in mind. Bruce looks to the door, and in comes Dr. Peter Burns and Amanda Woodward. Peter mm-hmm. says, you're looking well, Bruce. You must be following doctor's orders. Bruce is shocked. Peter confirms he's a part of the consortium, and he put it together himself. And he says, it's no secret that Amanda and I are friends. Uh, I also have respect for her professional abilities, so I'm sure I don't have to tell you why I'm appointing her president of D&D effective immediately. Bruce says, you can't do this to me. Peter says, I can do whatever I want. Uh, Sidebar. Amanda's hair looks a little rough. Oh, come on, Mary. Um, No, and like, she's listen, listen. She she had just been fucked. And thought of that. Yeah. Is she wearing a wig I'm not judging if because, like, I know sometimes, they, like, especially if women are like hormonal or if they're like preg- going through pregnancy or something, like sometimes actresses wear wigs, but it just doesn't look right. Something's off with her hair right now. I didn't notice. I don't judge women by their appearance, but you do, you. Yeah, you never do that. Um, Bruce tells Amanda to pull the knife out of his back that she's stuck there. She's like, "You've gone through so much, Bruce. Like, you need to take this time to get your life back on track. Look at this as an opportunity." And he grabs her, which, boo! But she shakes him off, and he glares, and he tells her to rot in hell. Uh, cut to Billy and Allison at the end of the table looking very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another member of uh, Bruce's leadership team, which they just threw in there. Some random old guy. Oh, yeah, there was another guy in there, wasn't there? Yeah, um, I wonder how he plays into this. I don't know. Probably not at all. Um, he's not HR. We know he's not HR. No, they assuredly do not have an HR department here. And I will talk about that in a minute. Um, so speech of all, she wants this transition to be smooth. She's going to, you know, make some changes. And to get the ball rolling, she's promoting Billy to vice president of accounts. Billy looks like, oh, shit. I might have to start wearing non-acid wash jeans to work. No. Uh, she has to see him outside. And he, at least today he's wearing gray khakis. So that's good. She's like, uh, Allison, I'll deal with you later. And Allison, <laughs> uh, outside, she congratulates Billy on his promotion. And he's speechless. And he did not expect this. And she's like, you can thank me later. But right now, I need you to do something for me. He says, of course, you can count on me. And she said, good. Then you won't mind firing Allison. <laughs> Billy's like, what? And she's like. Why is, why is Amanda taking this tact? Why does she want Billy to do it? I mean, I do think she's playing mind games with both of them, right? Because she usually is. It could be three things. It could be, it will hurt Allison more for Billy to do it. Yeah. Could be a loyalty test for Billy. Yeah. Or it could be, the show's not written well, and they needed a a reason to stall firing Allison. Until she got locked up in the clink. Off to the clink. Yeah. Uh, Billy defends Allison and said, oh, Allison's going through a rough time lately. And Amanda says, ever since I've known Allison, she's been going through a rough time. Which, That's true. That's true. Right. Uh, Billy points out that Allison's the lead on several other major accounts. And Amanda says, you said I could count on you. And Billy makes big pouting face. And he just stares and he goes, I don't know if I could do it. And she says, you have 24 hours. Ha <laughs> uh, <laughs> Billy is at his apartment and Susan has made a celebratory dinner and she says to Billy Campbell, the Al Gore of D&D and it's sad how long it took me to understand that was a reference to him being a vice president because I was like, did he in the internet? Like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it took me several days for that to sink in. Um, anyway, uh, he looks sad though and he's like, I feel bad about Allison and Susan's like, I thought we weren't going to talk about her tonight. <laughs> Uh, he, he's just not fair. And Susan's like, it's not your decision. It's Amanda's decision. You didn't do anything wrong. And he says he feels responsible because Allison's drinking is his fault. Newsflash. No, it's not. Uh, Susan yes, been through a lot. And Billy says, it's all because of me. And Susan says, no, it's all the other things too. And instead of dealing with her pain, she's hiding it with her drinking. Ding, ding, ding. Susan is right. Even though she's a boyfriend snatcher. 
Uh, they start kissing right then, and Allison gets home drunk and looks up and sees them kissing. So she comes upstairs and she's like, "Isn't this romantic? What's the occasion? Screw Allison of a fiance date. Screw Allison out of her promotion date. Or let's just dump on Allison for the heck of it." And Billy's like, "Bitch, you're drunk." And she's like, "Not too drunk to know I'm talking about." And she's like. Fuck you, basically. She's mad at him. Susan's like, I want to go make some coffee. And Allison's like, that's so nice. Do I know how to pick fiancés and best friends or what? It's very Midwestern. It made me laugh. Uh, Billy's going to take her home, but she says no. And she stumbles over by the table. Uh, Billy says she's not welcome there. She takes a bite of their food. He tells her to leave. Her eyes get real big and she says, no problem. You guys want to be alone. Then she turns back. She does the full Real Housewives of New Jersey table flip Judice style. Mm -hmm. It's great. I think we have a saved picture of that somewhere that is on my computer. Uh, Anyway. We most definitely do. There were lit candles on that table. Yeah, that's a fire hazard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next scene I'm going to leave for you to talk about. Uh, After that, let's just say someone is rolled out in a body bag. Right through the bullpen where everyone is working. They're, they didn't clear the room. They didn't call HR and say, hey, guys, somebody who worked here died. They just roll a body bag through the middle of the office during the work day. At least they didn't have to take the body up the spiral stairs. <laughs> oh, if only they had. That's the only thing. That would have been. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, so that's egregious enough. Cut to Billy, who is wearing acid wash jeans. He's a vice president. This motherfucker put on some pants. Let it go, Barry. Never, never. This is not okay. Uh, so they all are talking about what happened, uh, and Allison's like, "Give it." She's really like leaning into Amanda that everything is Amanda's fault. She's like, "You killed him." Uh, Billy tells her she's out of line, and then. Billy is, guys, he stays and he talks to Alice and he's like, you need to like settle down, girl. Like last night was a hot mess. She, it turns out, does not remember last night. She blacked out and does not remember. It hit her her that she had a blackout. Yes. She Uh, acted it well. She did. Uh, I'm going to blow through this last part quickly. Billy goes to talk to Matt at the hospital because he's a social worker and he should get to be in a scene once in a while. Uh, (laughs) Matt drops the little bomb there that, hey, if you can get Allison into treatment, they can't fire her. That's against the law. And so cut to Allison's intervention. What? What? And then subsequently, Matt and Billy driving her to rehab in Matt's Geo Tracker. Remember that? I forgot. Oh, so, gays in the 90s and their Geo Trackers. I remember it well, Mary. Remember when he got all that money from that settlement and Rhonda told him not to waste it on a car? She was right, apparently, because this geotracker is still running. Uh, <laughs> as she runs away, I'm, I, I've already said too much. And at the very end, though, we see her come into the rehab place by herself of her own volition and say, I'm Allison Parker. I'm here to sign up. I think I need help. Slow clap. Um, You're doing so much clapping today. Now, do you say I'd like to sign up? Is that how you check yourself into rehab? I don't know. I, I'm, cur- I'm curious. Maybe. I'm here to sign up. Sounds like you're at a Girl Scouts meeting. Like, Yeah. Um, like, anyway. Like, yeah, I'd like to, to buy the frequent shoppers card for Papa Murphy's Pizza. God, I would like one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this whole thing. Uh, what a storyline. Um, so many great moments for drunk Allison, great moments for Billy pouting in his acid wash jeans. We again have a body roll through the middle of work in the middle of the day, and no one cares. No one, <laughs> anyone, no one is talking to anyone about it. Uh, Amanda getting some great zingers in, and again, those goddamn acid wash jeans. I have a real problem with this. Get over the jeans. The bo- I had not realized the awkwardness of rolling the body through the office. I, just an, another another argument in favor of work from home policies. <laughs> I, a sidebar, you'll recall at a former place of employment that we both worked at, there was once an active shooter incident of some sort that remains still wow. somewhat serious to this day. And how they didn't tell the people working in that building that it happened at that building. And everyone in that building was outraged later. And we had... <laughs> Because we didn't know. 
And then we had to have a special meeting with the head of the finance department, which is still confusing why he was in charge of this meeting. And, and he was just like, it's no big deal. And everyone was like, it was a person with a gun. <laughs> anyway, it reminded me of our uh, some of our HR efforts at that former employer. There maybe was some glimmers of trash in what you said. <laughs> I was, what was most egregious to me was that an intervention works in two minutes. (laughs) That was pretty convenient, wasn't it? With your ex-fiance and your ex-best friend. Like, no, that's not the team, sis. That's not the team. She was really yelling at Matt, too. I didn't like that. Matt didn't deserve it. Yeah. But I did, I did think they did well, kind of like having it wash over Allison of like, oh my God, how did this happen to me? This is not who I am. I thought they played that well, but it just happened too quick. And I think Drunk Allison is gone, isn't she? Oh For God, now. She's yeah, she's she's drunk at the explosion. Yeah, she comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. good. <laughs> Much okay. like real life, usually. <laughs> well, tucked in there uh, was the highest of art. So the body you're referring to, of course, is Bruce's, because Bruce uh, realized Amanda sold him out. She said that you should put the knife in my back. He's very emotional. His whole life has been taken away from him because he's a guy who feels that his self-worth is defined by his job. And later, Amanda comes into her office, and she finds that Bruce has hung himself in her office. Uh-oh. Oh, uh, not the right sound effect. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Oh my God. And it, he has attached a note to his, his shirt that said, <laughs> um, let me make sure I get it. I got to get it just right. Mm-hmm. Dear Amanda, dot, dot, dot. Congratulations on your promotion, dot, dot, dot. Love, comma, Bruce. <laughs> That's some dark shit. And I just have to say, this is why this is high art for the generation. Mm-hmm. The importance of a handwritten note. <laughs> Can't be overstated. You know, if that was if, if that was a, a piece of computer mail he had sent her, <laughs> if he had that printed as a memo and, and passed around the office while he was being wheeled out, it wouldn't have had the same impact. And it makes me think... <laughs> it makes me think of our friends at baldguygreetings.com <laughs> where you can still use promo code Melrose, Melrose for 20% off and, and and if you put in the comments that we sent you he will give you an extra little gift and it increases the likelihood that he will make some Melrose like content. Now, will it be Bruce <laughs> in his final moments on the show? Probably not. Could it be They're that? not that dark. Could it be that picture of Bruce dancing when he has a heart attack? Because <laughs> that was ah. amazing. That's how I want to remember him. Yeah, and Bruce dancing. <laughs> dancing so wildly while Peter and Amanda are slow dancing. Yes. <laughs> and But what, whatever it is, whatever you get from our good friends at BaldGuyGreetings.com, B-A-L-D-G-U-Y, greetings.com, uh, you'll have on the left side of the card the opportunity to leave your own handwritten note to your... Uh, friend slash sibling slash parent slash admirer slash stalker mm-hmm, slash mm-hmm. barista that you think is sexy. Mm. Whoever. He really buries the nozzle. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <clears throat> season one reference. Yeah. That was season yeah. one, right? Yeah, that was. Yeah. That was my. That was what I got. The power of a handwritten note, Mary. Oh my god. Um, I'm gonna let you have that one. Good. Thank you. It was did good. You, did, was there anything else? I can't think of anything you're leaving on the table. Really? No, nothing. Uh, I I can't think of anything still. Well. I call this one 
this show is crazy enough right now that a doctor stealing a patient's baby is barely making the cut onto my trashy plotline list. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, let's go. Let's, let's dive in. Um, this one's relatively short, shockingly. Uh, like you mentioned, Michael asked where the little monster came from. He and Kim are real snippy with each other, which is always my favorite dynamic when they're getting real bitchy with each other. And he gets a phone call from Jane about Chris having stolen all the money from them. So he leaves. As he leaves, we see Joe parked outside. She pops up from the driver's seat and she gets out. What I don't understand is she's being real inconspicuous. And then she just gets out of her car and stomps right up to the door and bangs on it. <laughs> like, that's whatever. Kimberly uh, sneaks up around her and grabs her hand to stop her knocking. She's like, what do you think you're doing here? Joe's like, I'm here to get my baby. And Kimberly says, your baby was stillborn. I should know I delivered him. Joe's like, hand over my baby or I'll have your ass in jail so fast. Kimberly feigns shock and she's like, Joe, you're crazy. Joe says, you really think you're going to get away with this? That's my baby in there. You don't have a baby, Kimberly. And Kimberly smiles and says, I do now. (laughs) (laughs) She's not wrong, everybody. She's not wrong. She tells Joe to get the hell off her property. Joe grabs her and shakes her and says, people just don't do what you're doing. My God, you're a doctor. Okay. (laughs) Do you think Kim is Kimberly trying to gaslight Joe into believing this? Like, why is Kimberly keeping up the act when no one's around? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Or maybe they're trying to tell us Kimberly genuinely believes this. I mean, Kimberly is off a rocker, too. So, I I mean, God, I don't know that any answer is wrong here. I don't know. It's not like Joe is the crazy one here. It's the doctors. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, Joe goes to the hospital to tell them that the death certificate on file is not for her. It's for the wrong baby. My baby (laughs) died. Someone else's baby died. (laughs) (laughs) The part at the records table who was like me, that would that would be like my job if I worked at the hospital. And I'd be like, uh, okay, can you get the other mother's name? And then I can look at the records. And she's like, I don't know the name. And he's like, well, I can't do anything then. And she's like, if you can't find the records, then I will. And he's like, uh, I think your problem falls outside of the area of my expertise, which is a good answer. Um, and I'd steal that line when I'm at work. Uh, okay. He's like, But this scene happened where, where Joe said she's going to bust into the records room. This was, again, a season one callback. Uh, I thought uh, right over her shoulder was a sign that said, give blood. <laughs> God. Uh, um, Joe makes fun of the guy. He's like, maybe you could talk to Dr. Shaw and she could recommend someone you could go to. <laughs> like, and she's like, what, like a shrink? Yeah, right. I've got news for you. I'm not the one at this hospital with a screw loose. You got that? It's not me. It's the damn doctors. What are you looking at? And she storms out. <laughs> Uh, she does look like she. It's a lot. She's not making a good case for herself trying to be the sane one here. Back at the beach house, Joe drives up after dark. We hear the baby crying off in the house. She stomps onto the porch and knocks, open the door. Kimberly tells her to go away. She's already called the police. Somehow, how is she already called the police? She just knocked, but whatever. Um, Joe's like, you crazy bitch. You really think you can keep me out? And Joe walks her out of the sliding glass door. She can't open it. Kimberly tells her to go home. It's my baby. Joe says, you can't have him. I'm coming in. And she grabs a chair and breaks the window and stomps into the broken glass. Kimberly says, I'm the only mother he knows, which is something I say to my cats sometimes. Joe shoves her out <laughs> and walks up to the baby, who just stops crying, which is interesting. She picks him up, and Kimberly's like, please don't do anything you'll regret. And he, she says, the only thing I regret, Kimberly, is trusting you. She tells her to get out of her way or she'll kill her, which is uh, maybe you shouldn't say that. She starts walking to the door and the cops come in with their guns raised. Kimberly is starts hysterically yelling out of nowhere about how she's trying to steal my baby. She's putting on a big act. Joe's like, she's lying. The cop tells her to hand over the baby before anybody gets hurt, which is a great line. He comes and he takes the baby and gives her back, gives him back to Kimberly. Uh, they restrain Joe and they drag her out. The baby cries as soon as Kimberly holds the baby. She's like, oh, are the handcuffs really necessary? And she's like, Miss Reynolds is a patient of mine suffering from acute postpartum depression and her baby was stillborn. I don't want to press charges. Just see that she gets home safely and never bothers me or my baby again. Joe is screaming the whole way out. Kimberly stands there cooing at the baby. Um, I mean, this is this is a lot of trash. But what really, I was like, how did the cops get there that fast? And how did she call them that fast? Like, they didn't react that quickly when 
like Michael almost got carbon monoxide in the garage. Like, how did they get there this fast? How did they not get there that fast when Kimberly was having mixtures with the prostitutes? Like, I'm confused where these cops came from. Um, this plot line is completely fucking bonkers. Uh, <laughs> it is not. I'm a little sad, though, that all the other characters are too busy right now with their own crazy shit to get roped into this. Like, no one is helping Joe. Like, she hasn't even been able to tell anybody what's going on yet. That's kind of sad. Yeah. yeah, they all think the baby's dead. She hasn't talked to Jane, Allison, nobody. No. Yeah, I, Here's the part I don't get. Joe has a gun. <laughs> yeah, she does have a gun. What? Where's that? It's time to bring out Betsy. Maybe it was I on. Assume, the I assume that's what we name her gun, Betsy. That seems plausible, right? Yeah. Man alive! If this one's <sighs> that one's just nuts. Well, Mary, I think you know we both made some compelling arguments. I think my power of a handwritten note wins the day, but that's just me. <laughs> I had a couple other little moments. We really didn't talk about um, the Jane and Michael storyline. Jane and Michael, yeah, they're having a good time. Yeah, they kind of get back together to like go get their money back, which they don't because Chris punches Michael at the casino, and I don't think we ever see Chris again. I think he gets away with it, doesn't he? I think he's gone. Yeah. Oh man, he's going back to the outback. Crikey. so they have $5,000 left because that's the money that Chris gave them. Jane walks up to a roulette table and puts it all down in chips. And Michael yells, he hopes he calls out black. And of course it stops on red. And Jane asks him, what does it feel like to own 50% of nothing? <laughs> Which was, I thought kind of funny. They go back to the room that Chris has already used all their money to pay for. They have drinks. Uh, he starts talking about how this mystery baby has shown up and put a strain on his relationship with Kimberly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they start talking about the old times and he's a good listener, you know, and she says, you know, I, oh, he says, there's a stranger living in my house. Make that two strangers. <laughs> uh, she tells me he was a lousy husband. Maybe he'll be a better father. They laugh and then they start kissing and then they end up in bed. What? What? Cause Jane wants to know what it feels like to be the other woman for once, which was funny. I also thought his answer, I'll be happy to show you was funny. Uh, they wake up the next morning. Jane is getting dressed and leaving, and Michael wants her to stay. And he's like, why don't you come back and take off your clothes, or I could take them off for you. And she's like, I'll see you around. And he's like, wait, wait, where are you going? And she's like, Michael, it was a one-night stand. I'm sure you've had experiences like that before. And he says, I'd never toy with your emotions. Last night was our new beginning. And he's like, you can't just walk out, baby. I love you. I've always loved you. And she pinches his cheek and says, you were great, babe. And she leaves. I was happy for Jane because she just lost all of her money, but at least she got to like have sex with someone finally, and and she got to make Michael feel a little stupid. So good for her. Well, and Michael got to find out he there was some foreshadowing here when Michael, Jane, and Jake were all together outside Jane's apartment trying to discuss like what happened to the money, Sydney and Chris, and Michael scoffed at Jane and said, "Jane, you haven't changed. You're still a pushover between the sheets." <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Well. Here we are. My other line... Oh, there's a cat walking around meowing. Um, anyway, uh, my other favorite line was Allison at her intervention when she yelled, my blackouts, my drinking, my this, my that. <laughs> it, really, it was some good Allison. That was fun. Well, I don't know what else to say other than uh, Mary. What? Congratulations on your promotion. <laughs> Love, Teej. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god well what okay, a fun this was a fun episode yeah it was this week's episode of the Melrose Placecast is brought to you by the following generous sponsor Viva Las Vegas am I right what happens there stays there well unless you're lucky enough to be one of the first to book a trip with Sydney's Dirigibles yeah that's right the show made the mistake of mentioning blimps this week so you're getting even more bonus dirigible content that you never asked for on her recent vacation slash kidnapping trip to vegas sydney became enamored with taking a hot air balloon ride over the strip in the morning she told her boyfriend slash captor chris all about (laughs) the desert 
They put you in a hot air balloon and you float over the strip at sunrise. It only costs $500 and it includes breakfast. But Sydney, she's an ingenious entrepreneur and accomplished businesswoman. And she went to herself, hmm. And you know what she did? She figured out a way to make this business plan even better. How? Oh, Mary, Mary, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't go there. You're Dirigibles! So- don't have to go there. I already went. Dirigibles, Tage. Why would you want to tour around the skies in a lame-ass blimp? Did you know that blimps have soft sides? They're like big floating glove handles up in the skies. Who wants to squeeze that? Sydney knows Americans like a hard body, and they want their balloon-based air travel to be hard body too. That's why she's opted for a dirigible. Did you know that dirigibles can be rigid or semi-rigid? Aren't those much sexier words? This is ridiculous. Those are much sexier words. Rigid, semi-rigid. Let me repeat. You know they are. Plus, rigid dirigibles have metal frames. They completely enclose a tube, and they provide a cozy nook for passengers and crew members to comfortably ride in. Not like dangling out over the hard rack cafe sign hanging from a goddamn blimp basket. You could fall right out of that, especially in the morning when you're half awake and you're hungover. Did you know, dude, that dirigibles can reach speeds of nearly six miles per hour? Six miles per hour? I can barely conceive of it. Right? That's outrageous. Don't worry, though. Sydney has installed plenty of handrails inside of her dirigible for you to hang on to so you don't get blown away at such a death despite might, might you say Sydney installed poles in her dirigible? Oh, shit. She totally did, didn't she? Uh, Sydney has also tapped into her existing social network to make sure that your time aboard her dirigible won't be lonely. Yes. I knew this is where you were going. I tried to stop you. I don't know why you would do that. Sydney has called up some of her old work friends, wink, wink, from Los Angeles, wink, 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 to act as your friendly, friendly, friendly flight crew. Very wink, wink. So many winks. Oh, my eyes are tight. Would you rather have a free breakfast or, wait for it, a complimentary chili dog bar? <laughs> Yeah, you know what you want. Ooh, baby, you and the flight crew will love savoring some of those hot, sexy dogs with their succulent chili topping. Do you <laughs> You have to stop what you're doing. I can't. I've come too far. You don't need to worry about the dirigible running out of gas. There will be plenty on board after everybody enjoys a trip to the chili dog bar. Mary! So sorry, I know you don't like that sort of thing. Most importantly, Sydney... A woman who's been down on her luck more times than I can count at this point. She knows that a $500 price point is not feasible for most tourists or kidnapping victims for a ride on an airship that isn't going to the moon. Why would you pay $500 to sit in a basket under a soft-sided, love-handled balloon when you can pay just $250 to ride in style in a dirigible filled with sexy ladies? Hey, and don't you worry, straight ladies and gays. Sydney will be sure to sock her flight crew with... At least one piece of tasty eye candy for you, too, because she's going to call Jake and tell him to rush to Vegas to save her from the latest kidnapping. Straight ladies in case. Yep. Well, don't worry. She doesn't forget about you. To book your maiden voyage, just come to Las Vegas, stand on the strip, and when you see a dirigible flying over at six miles per hour, wave your arms a whole bunch and yell. Sydney will see you, and at those raging six-mile-per-hour speeds, they're going to come down and pick you up and you're going to fly off into the skies with that sexy flight crew and all the chili dogs you can get for $250. Mary, I tried to stop you from turning this into a prostitution in the sky, but you just could not be stopped. I did not say there's prostitution in the sky. I said there's a friendly flight crew and chili dogs. Yeah, fl- friendly flight crew, wank, wank. Wank, wank. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I would totally go for a ride on this dirigible. I listen. I wasn't. I wasn't there until you included the single ladies and the gays. <laughs> I guess the ladies don't have to be single. They just need to be straight, or they just need to play single for the day. You know. Yeah. You know what? We're not. We're we're celebrating the non-binary. We're recording this during Pride Month. Anybody who'd like to take a look at Jake is welcome. At least according to Sydney. So wait, seriously, how how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? (laughs)
Man, I told you this, right? So it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re- the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then Mary, there's the the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh God, how long? Yeah. And and uh, Models Inc has to be covered too. Wait, what the hell is Models Inc? It, it's a two season spinoff. Of what? What do they? Of <laughs> Melrose Place from the lady from Dynasty was on it, I think. Lady from Dynasty, my God, this was like a whole industry. And I do think 90210 to get to understand where this show came from is probably worth exploring. I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then when Allison left, she went to Ally McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, so we're in for all of it. <laughs> oh, God. 